Welcome to All Sides with Ann Fisher. The sport of bodybuilding emerged in the 19th century, but didn't enter the zeitgeist until really the late 1970s with the release of the part real, part scripted documentary Pumping Iron. The film starred a then 27-year-old Arnold Schwarzenegger and turned him into a household name that led to a successful career in film and politics. Pumping Iron also drew aside the curtain on bodybuilding and helped spur interest in exercise in the world of gyms and health clubs. Since then, the sport has grown. Two big bodybuilding competitions, Mr. Olympia, which moves around, and the Arnold Classic, which attracts many thousands every year to Columbus. Some view bodybuilding as a niche sport, but it is a faithful following despite its dark side, which was laid bare in a Washington Post series last year. Washington Post reporter Desmond Butler, who helped write and produce the series, is the son of Pumping Iron producer George Butler. Desmond Butler, welcome to All Sides. Thank you for having me. You were inspired to do this series after someone approached you at your father's funeral. Um, tell us you know, what they what they said to you that you know, piqued your interest because bodybuilding isn't your stock and trade. That's true. I spent a lot of time um, at bodybuilding shows when I was a really little kid and on the set, at least of my father's sequel. Um, I was five years old when Pumping Iron came out. Um, and um, yes, at, at the memorial service for my father in New York, Wayne D'Amelia, who um, is uh a sort of legendary promoter of bodybuilding shows came up to me and he said, this isn't the time to talk about this, but I'd really like to bend your ear about something. And then about six weeks later, we sat down and I started to hear about some of the problems in the sport. You know, I've been hearing about problems in the sport, particularly where it comes to drug abuse and particularly steroid abuse and that kind of a thing. Were you sort of divorced from it at that point and not paying much attention? Yes. I mean, look, I mean, even back in the 70, 70s and Arnold's heyday, steroids were a thing. Um, but what what really surprised me was how um, extreme it had become, you know, and that the bodybuilders up on the stage at the big events look nothing like Arnold Schwarzenegger did in the 1970s. Right. Um, how did that early exposure to the sport inform you for this series? Well, what, I mean, it, it opened a lot of doors for me because um, I knew a lot of the people involved. I mean, the fact that Wayne came up to me, you know, and my father was a real figure in the sport. So I think a lot of people talk to me who probably wouldn't talk to any journalist. Um, but, you know, I think it I think it, it was also one of my interests. I mean, I, I actually care about the sport. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. We are talking about bodybuilding and particularly professional bodybuilding today. Desmond Bolt Butler is an investigative reporter for The Washington Post and part of a team that produced a series on bodybuilding, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, if you have a question or comment coming up this hour, give us a call, 614-292-8513, or you can email us at allsides at wosu.org. Um, I wanted to talk about the management of kind of that upper tier management and how that affects the sport 
down the line. For years, brothers Joe and Ben Wider uh, controlled, or Weider, I'm not sure, controlled, Weider. Weider, controlled the sport of professional bodybuilding through Joe Weider's magazine Muscle and Fitness and Ben's presidency of the International Federation of Bodybuilders. That's the governing body of the sport. The Weeders are deceased now. The leadership has passed to Jim Mannion. Tell us about him. Well, I mean, Jim Jim Mannion's a, a former bodybuilder. He um, was a pretty successful bodybuilder, um, and he ran a ran and runs a gym in in Pittsburgh. Um, he was the first president of um, what's now called the NPC, um, the National Physique Committee, uh, which was the amateur side of the sport and it was run as a non-profit at first um at a certain point in recent years it's become a for-profit profit uh operation and that was uh you know an important part of our investigation right because it, it, he changed uh the nature of the organization right under the noses of the board of trustees yeah I mean, it was pretty incredible um the um the NPC was registered in Ohio um, in first in 1978, and then they changed the name later. Um, and under Ohio law, in my understanding, it's impossible to make a nonprofit into a profit, and yet that's what happened. Uh, what do you What do you know about how he he? By the way, we requested an interview with Jim Mannion and. And uh, they, he didn't, or, or his people didn't respond to our interview request, um, or apparently uh, a request by the Post, if I read correctly. Um, he's dismissed the, uh, you know, what is, what, what do we know about the nature of what he controls now? Well, I mean, it's not quite the whole sport because there are other federations, and there, in fact, some uh, what they call natural federations, where drug testing is a real thing. Um, but for the the biggest, most prominent events that the top bodybuilders want to be in, he controls the two organizations that are, um, you know, overseeing those. And that's the um, NPC and the <laughs> IFBB Pro League. And you said that there's the Natural Federation, which does test for drugs. So Mannion's outfits don't at the big places like at the Arnold at Mr. Olympia they don't test for drugs. Yeah, I mean I'm not sure that's an official position but in in practice that's correct. Um the Mannion's control over the sport has led to allegations of sexual exploitation of women in the sport. I guess I was kind of surprised that it's it's just him. It seems like that ex exploitation probably has been going on predates him, but no, what do we know about that? I, you know, I know just from hearing stories from my father and from Wayne that sexual exploitation has been a problem in the sport um, and not just female athletes since the early days. Pumping Iron didn't really uh, focus on that. Um, but, you know, I think what shocked me was how systemic it was. And, uh, and particularly the exploitation of female athletes and how it tied right back to the Mannion family. How so? What do you mean by how systemic it was? Well, 
Um, Jay, the, the, the Mannion family is really three generations involved in the sport. There's Jim who runs it. JM is sort of the official photographer of the sport, and that's Jim's son. And JM's son, Tyler, is one of the top judges in the sport and, and also involved in the organization and sort of the heir apparent for, for Jim. And JM, um, at a certain point uh, decades ago, started a management agency um, that was particularly focused on women in the less muscled categories of the sport. There's something called the bikini category, which is um, you know, meant to be a fitness category that's not very muscled for women. And he um, you know, started managing the careers of um, a lot of the female athletes um, and putting them under certain pressure. And particularly, he was, as I said, the photographer in the sport, and they were expected to show up for shoots. Um, and according to many women that we spoke to, he was pressuring them to take their clothes off and to take pictures for some softcore porn sites that he was running. And the, the widespread presumption, which goes beyond this problem, is that you have to please the Mannion family if you're going to make it anywhere in this sport. And that's, that's, uh, that's pretty tough for an athlete, and it puts the kind of you know, pressure on them that can be exploited. You uh, interviewed a woman who said she found out later that she placed fourth in a competition, and a judge said, well, if you visited me in my hotel room, it would have turned out differently. Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't just the Mannions. That 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 judge was uh, close to some of the Mannions, but not not one of them. There's there's just you know the the integrity of of a um, sport like this is that the judging is is based on some you know objective criteria. If the judging is really oftentimes based on what can you do for me as a judge or the president or the vice president of the sport, um, you know, what kind, what kind of sport is that? You know, as far as the objective criteria go, um, can we talk about the use of steroids, the abuse of steroids? The Arnold Classic held here in Columbus, it's one of the two most important competitions in the sport, but its namesake, Arnold Schwarzenegger, has concerns about the sport as it plays out these days. Um, you know, I think they've asked uh, JM to, well, they've said he's not going to be the official photographer this time around, but I mean, everyone says if you don't use the drugs, if you don't dehydrate yourself and do all of these other, it sounds like horrible things, starvation, uh, you know, denial of liquids, um, all the drugs, all the supplements, everything. If you don't do it, you can't get into the pros. I mean, to a, to a certain extent, that's true. Um, and you certainly can't get to the top of the pros. Um, when, when, you, um, when you see the size of the bodybuilders um, in the top events up on the stage, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, and, you know, I think one of the themes that Pumping Iron was about was that this was a sport that, that kind of followed a classical ideal. Arnold used to talk about, you know, compare himself to a classical sculptor. 
that, you know, I need a little bit more on my biceps. So I work that out and I round that out. And the idea was that you were, that there was an aesthetic um, that looked something like Michelangelo's David. And that is just totally gone. It's something that, that Arnold himself has, has bemoaned, um, complained about. Um, but, you know, you think about it, the, the kind of direction of the sport is decided by the judges. What kind of, who are they rewarding up on the stage? And if they're rewarding the people who get absolutely biggest, you know, um, and have um, just extreme musculature, um, and, and that's what people think that it takes to win, then the only way to get there is by taking extreme methods with, with drugs. And, you know, one of the things we learned is that um, a lot of the deaths are actually being caused by diuretics, um, which squeeze the water out of you and give your body a look of being like a, kind of like a, a stuffed sausage. Well, that's <laughs> how you can see all the little striations in the muscles and that kind of a thing, right? Yeah. It, uh, it makes the, the muscles stand out a lot more. It sounds horrible. I mean, when I was reading the series, it what goes on behind the scenes sounds horrible. I mean, the, the competitors all know what's going on. They try to help each other in the, in the backstage, right, when they're passing out, vomiting, whatever they're doing. Uh, usually passing out is a big thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it, those last few days before a contest and right afterwards are very dangerous. Um, and one of my colleagues was actually tracking 911 calls around all the big contests as a way of doing the research. It's uh, it's pretty dicey. What did you hear? I mean, I, I, I guess an enduring question I had throughout reading it was, why do they keep doing it? They sound intelligent. They sound like they, they even acknowledge, yeah, I know this is killing me, but I, they do it anyway. What's going on? What did you learn, Desmond? There's a kind of mentality of an athlete. I think most people have, have seen people like this or have been people like this. When you're a serious athlete, you'll do almost anything to win. And when you get sucked into that world, look, there are plenty of people who, um, you know, back out you know, who say, this isn't for me. I, I, I don't want to you know, ruin my health. I don't want to go through this. But there, there are a lot of people who love the sport, who, um, you know, have, get this amazing high from working out and from, you know, frankly, from being admired up on a stage. And they will do just about whatever it takes to, to succeed. And I think that's very common in, in athletics. Is the number of people dying from these regimens, this kind of com combination of the steroids, the diuretics and everything, and the starvation um, and the lack of liquids, I mean, are they, um, uh, is that unusual, the, the amount of people that are being hurt and harmed by it, or has that been going on for a long time? I mean, we, you know, we documented at least, you know, dozens of major athletes um, who have died in recent years, died young. Often, you know, in some cases, we can link that to the steroids or the diuretics. Um, not always, but that's not even touching on the, um, you know, athletes who no nobody's ever heard of, in including teenagers sometimes. 
um, I don't think we hear about that kind of, um, you know, mortality rate in professional football, for instance. And if we did, it would be a really big deal because it's on the national consciousness. But 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 bodybuilding, even though it's a it's a niche, it's it's considered a niche sport. There's but there are a lot of followers of it. But it doesn't. Is it not in the national consciousness like football is? Um, I don't think it is. Um, I don't think you know most Americans know that much about bodybuilding. Um, I had a. Uh, I had a particular education in it, but, uh, you know, I know I don't I don't think it is. My guest is Desmond Butler. He is an investigative reporter for The Washington Post. He helped produce a series on professional bodybuilding uh, for The Washington Post. We'll have a link to that on our website at WOSU.org slash all sides. Uh, we'll be right back. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. Race might be a hot topic right now, but for so many of us, talking about race is nothing new. On the Code Switch podcast from NPR, we go beyond the headlines and we go deep. Listen now. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Ann Fisher. The 1977 documentary Pumping Iron drew aside the curtain on bodybuilding and helped spur interest in exercise and the world of gyms and health clubs. Since then, the sport has grown. There are two big bodybuilding competitions, Mr. Olympia, which moves around, and the Arnold Classic, which attracts many thousands every year to Columbus. Viewed by some as a niche sport, Bodybuilding enjoys a faithful following, despite its darker side, which was laid bare in a Washington Post series last year. Still with us is Desmond Butler. He's one of the investigative reporters who worked on the series. Maria Rea is a so-called natural bodybuilder and trainer who has won a number of titles. Her son, Boston Lloyd, was a bodybuilder who was open about his steroid use. He passed away at age 29 from conditions related to uh, his steroid regimen. Uh, Marie, we're sorry for the loss of your son. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Tell us Thank what. You. Tell us what happened to Boston. Okay, um, he was raised in a bodybuilding world. Uh, we owned and operated Gold's Gyms, him and his dad. So at a very young age, at five, he was guest posing, uh, doing uh, shows, and raising money for kids with cancer. And then as he got older, uh, when he was 16, 17, he started competing. I found drugs, steroids in his room, and I ripped him apart. And uh, unfortunately, he continued with the steroids probably from 17 to 29. And he was addicted. And uh, he had trouble getting off of them. Um, he was very open about what he took. He was the first one to be open about his steroid abuse. I tried many a times getting him on the Dr. Phil show and uh, they would have took us, but the father refused to go on with me. And the reason was, was because he gave Boston back the steroids that I confiscated from him. I uh, 
went to different doctors when he was 19 years old. And uh, again, they told me that they couldn't do anything because the father's not backing me up. So little by little, um, steroids, you know, like how big he is. He's like Hercules. So the bigger he got, the more and more popular he got. So the thing about bodybuilding is you look great outside, but you're dying inside. I mean, he got stuff coming out of his chest and he had to get surgery on his chest. Um, he was bloated. Um, so that's how he got started really at the age of five, guest posing and uh, raising money for kids with cancer. And then from the age of 29, he did get have kidney failure. And then through that kidney failure, he was feeling kind of lost, like he couldn't compete anymore. And even though he knew the doctors told him that if he quit all the steroids right now, he probably wouldn't need to go on dialysis. And I was right with him with the doctors. I paid for all his insurance to make sure. And he wouldn't listen. He was talking to another bodybuilder who had just died uh, maybe six months before him. And they were in the gym talking about, uh, oh, yeah, the doctor told me not to do steroids, but I'm going to do them anyway. So I believe that steroid is more of an addiction, too. Um, and the sport of bodybuilding is not a sport. It is, should be called drug warfare. Hmm. It is chemical warfare. It's not who's the better physique out there. It's who manages their drugs the best. So we're going to keep seeing more and more people die out there unless something's done. Unless Congress changes some laws, we're going to have some serious men and women passing away. When you talk about addiction to steroids, was Boston addicted to what steroids made him look like and the acclaim that he got from that and the attention? Or was there something, I mean, and Desmond, of course, chime in. I mean, is there something literally physically addicting about steroids? Well, okay, steroids make you feel like Hercules. You feel great. And uh, you start weaning off the, the steroids, you don't feel so great. Okay. It's not even just the look. You don't feel as powerful. You're not lifting as much weight in the gym, according with, you know, everybody likes a pat on the back, how great you look, but also the physical side effect that you feel horrible when you go off and you get bloated, you gain weight, your thyroid is off. And Desmond Butler, there's no regulation of these things? Well, I mean, they're controlled substances. Um, I think one of the problems is that the FBI and the DEA, DEA and local authorities are so focused on fentanyl and opioids and this scourge in America that they've got a lot less time to enforce steroids. Hmm. Maria, Rhea, you're a natural bodybuilder. Tell us about your regimen and how it differs. Um, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, you didn't go pro. Are there any natural bodybuilders who are pro? Um, well, I did the over 60 and I became pro. Oh, okay. I apologize. I, yeah, I know I would have to compete against the uh, bigger girls and I denounced it. I did not want to go pro, even though I could have gone pro. Okay. Um, no, I could not compete against those girls. I competed in the ABA shows, which were natural and some of the NPC shows that were natural. And I did very well in those. But can I compete against the girls with drugs? I did compete in NPC against girls that were way bigger than me. 
but because the judges gave it to me because of my small waist and broad shoulders, even though they were 25 and 40 years old and I'm here 62. So could I compete in a pro level? No, absolutely not. Some of those girls are huge, but on the amateur level, yes. What's a natural regimen like? What, what is your, how, how does that work? How do I work out? Yeah. All day long now. <laughs> just, no offense, but just to keep looking good. It's like every morning I go in the dry sauna and I stretch. Uh, I hang upside down. I stretch my neck. I ride the bike for a half hour. I weight train. Then I do an, a mile swim. And then I do some more yoga and stretching. Really, uh, it's like to keep looking like this at my at age 63, it's like all day long working out uh, and eating right. Okay, let's get this right. 80% is nutrition, mm-hmm. and I have a very good diet. I don't eat M&Ms or cookies or candy. That's out of the diet. So it's really your diet, your exercise, and also I have good genetics. I was a college athlete. So the genetics are there. I was more muscular than the average man in college. You, so the genetics are there. You began competing in bodybuilding in 1981. I wondered if you could talk about how you've seen the sport evolve or devolve, depending on oh, your yeah. perspective, for women when it comes to the use of steroids and these really you know, intense regimens. Okay, in 1981, I started competing, and I was doing really well. And then the drug scene started coming in and the drug girls were, you know, I'm looking at these girls and I was thinking, geez, I did really good in, uh, before, uh, but I couldn't compete against the drugs. They had real deep voices. They looked like men. They were breaking out on their faces. Uh, no femininity that I could see, but the judges were giving it to them. So I started in 81. I dropped out in 84 because I tried to do the drugs. And to tell you the truth, I looked worse. Somebody with good genetics shouldn't be doing any types of drugs. And uh, so I got off completely and stopped competing up until I was actually 39 years old. And then I did the uh, ABA shows, The Natural, and I became the top natural uh, bodybuilder, Miss Universe. And I felt good. I looked good. Um, I was natural. Then I decided to start competing at 60. And uh, the girls... We're pretty big, but this was right after the uh, the epidemic, and there wasn't so many girls that looked so great. So I was winning the shows over these big girls, and I was very surprised that the judges gave it to me. But the, the fact that they looked so bloated and uh, big, they, they favored me. They even came back and said, you look good. You did very well. Desmond Butler, from reading the series, uh, I get the idea that a lot of the drugs, a lot of these these uh, hardcore and harsh uh, regimens uh, come from trainers. Tell us about the whole training industry and all of this. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the trainers are a big uh, part of the sport, and that goes up and down. They They, I think, not only provide the the routines for athletes they for not provide the connections and a lot of them have sponsorships in uh you know at the events um and you know if you come into a sport knowing nothing and somebody says this is here's your regime this is what you got to do and they come off as an expert you know i'm there i'm sure there are some 
trainers who are medical experts, but I, I'm pretty sure that's a uh, very small minority. Um, people, you know, young, naive people are going to listen to that. And maybe some people who aren't young and naive. And no matter um, how bad it's making them feel, they say, well, the trainer said so. Yeah. And this is what it takes. I want to get to the top. Yeah, it's amazing what they, how many people like that guy Shelby, four people, four women died under him because these women just listen to them. It's like they're, they're God and they have no education. And there's no culpability for that, Desmond? I was going to say, yeah. I mean, that was one of, the, one of the big themes throughout our investigation. Where's the accountability? We're, you know, we're in a sport where so many people are dying, where lives are being ruined. Um, is there no discernible action? There's no, there's, there's no. Right, exactly. You are so right. Is this something, Maria, Marie Rea, that people talk about? I mean, do you go to the Arnold? Did I go to the Arnold? I mean, no. I mean, do you go to the, I mean, when you go to these events, these competitions, do people talk about this among themselves? No, they all think, because bodybuilding is kind of like a different culture. All they talk about is, what gear they're taking. Um, also, they take diuretics, and that's what kills them. Uh, maybe even cocaine for their dieting. They talk with among them like a different language. And to tell you the truth, it's a bunch of dum-dums. Huh. Is that what you came across, Desmond? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that people are necessarily dumb. But look, there's a big illusion, right? The, the theme song to Pumping Iron was everybody, you know, the, the first lyric, I think, was everybody wants to live forever. Bodybuilding is, bodybuilding is a sport in which there's a, you're trying to create a big, you know, an illusion of, of almost being godlike. And you're not. And you're, you've got a body just like everybody else. Um, Maria Rea, I wanted to talk about the exploitation of women in the sport and what your experience, what you've seen, if you've talked to women who have felt exploited or have been exploited uh, sexually or otherwise. Oh, yeah, the trainers. I remember back way back when, you know, I mean, I'm training with a guy and he says, well, I cheat on my wife. I go, what is cheating me? You know, I'm so dumb. And then, uh, yeah, they, they uh, exploit us. They decide that uh, they can have affairs with us, that they're helping us. Uh, and also a lot of girls do porn on TV on, uh, for videos to make money. Even the guys, because uh, steroids cost a lot of money. So they exploit themselves. And by the way, pro bodybuilding, it, it can pay the bills, but only for the people at the very top. Desmond Butler? Yeah, it is very hard. I mean, you know, I've deferred to Maria on this, but um, it's very hard to make a living as a bodybuilder, um, and very few people do. Yeah, Maria? Marie, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's true. Unless they have supplements like my son was uh, very probably one of the top richest bodybuilders because he had different supplements, clothing line. So he was an entrepreneur in different things and buying homes. But most of the bodybuilders, he's correct, do not have much money because they're spending it on diet, food, um, and drugs. And and I'm interested in your thoughts about this whole influencer culture that's come to be because of social media. Uh, Marie, Rhea, how has that contributed and exacerbated all these problems? 
Well, you look at them and you want to look like them. I mean, geez. I mean, the problem was with my son, he didn't look like Hercules. And then he goes to the uh, doctor and they're telling him, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, this and that. And he's looking at them and you look like a skinny wimp next to me. So the culture is like, um, like even toys, they're more muscular these days. Everything is towards this big muscular body or this strong uh, hero-like woman. Now, remember, what they're doing is they're dying inside. They're looking good outside and dying inside. Mm. And uh, my son had a tattoo on his arm, get big or die trying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, Robert and Columbus, you're on the air. Hi, Robert. Yes. <clears throat> um, your guest is absolutely spot on with his analysis of, of everything. Very truthful, not exaggerating at all. If anything... He's undercutting where the real problem is, and that is at the top. The Mannion family has been in control of bodybuilding for 45 years or so. It's a corrupt organization, power brokers with incredible skills to keep this power. And if you change that and make the sport, re-engineer the sport for to make it safer for the athletes and have the athletes good intentions in mind, you will see a completely different sport, period. Uh, and just listeners, we did request an interview with Jim Mannion. They did not respond to our request. Um, thank you, Robert, for that call. Uh, Desmond Bolt Butler, uh, is it really at the top, do you think? Is this something that's uh, you know comes down from the top? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, thank you, Robert. And um, if you have information in that regard, please reach out to me. Um, uh, we found that it was um, a very monolithic organization that really was structured around the Mannion family. And if you step out of line, you get ex excommunicated. I would add um, to your earlier question about the influencers, social media is very easy to police. And if you, if you get off message, people can let you know pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I think I think that um, uh, certainly a lot of the responsibility for the problems we're talking about traces back to the people who run the sport. Um, and, and Marie Rea, before I let you go, I mean you're very outspoken on this issue. You're very blunt. Have you had any pushback? Um, yeah, my daughter-in-law really is not talking to me anymore. It seems <laughs> like um, the people in the the drug world. I'm sure they're going to dislike me but he is so right that it has to go from the top and the judges are the people who make the criteria to what they're looking for and what we're supposed to look like so it's the the main people the judges and uh if something's not done more people are going to die and yes i'm going to get some lashbacks but that's okay it's, it's okay because you know what um my son's not going to die in vain if there is any way that I can help this sport, I will. And he's so right. The FBI needs to get involved. Uh, and it didn't help. I mean, when my son was young, I went to the police. Nobody did anything. So unless somebody puts, does something, and my whole thing is to go to Congress. I need to go to Congress and to make a law. There needs to be a law made. Marie Rea, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate yeah. it. 
having me on. And again, I'm very sorry for the loss of your son. Marie Rea is a natural bodybuilder and trainer. She's won a number of titles. Her son, Boston Lloyd, was a bodybuilder as well. He was very open about his steroid use. He passed away at the age of 29. Thanks again, Marie. We have more coming up, so stay with us. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. Race might be a hot topic right now, but for so many of us, talking about race is nothing new. On the Code Switch podcast from NPR, we go beyond the headlines and we go deep. Listen now. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Dan Fisher. The 1977 documentary Pumping Iron drew aside the curtain on bodybuilding and helped spur interest in exercise in the world of gyms and health clubs. Since then, the sport has grown. There are two big bodybuilding competitions, Mr. Olympia, which moves around, and the Arnold Classic, which attracts many thousands of people every year to Columbus. Viewed by some as a niche sport, bodybuilding enjoys a faithful following despite its darker side, which was laid bare in a Washington Post series last year. We'll have a link to that on our website at wosu.org slash allsides. Still with us is Desmond Butler, one of the team of reporters that produced the Washington Post investigative series titled Bodybuilding Built and Broken. Guillermo Escalante is a competitive bodybuilder and assistant dean and professor of kinesiology at the College of Natural Sciences at California State University, San Bernardino. Guillermo Escalante, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You are a certified athletic trainer and first responder when there's a medical emergency at a competition. Would you tell us how your role uh, as an allied health professional has come into play backstage? Yeah, absolutely. Between uh, 2012 and 2019, uh, I uh, worked primarily for for muscle contests here in Southern California. And uh, basically, my my main role was to uh, oversee the health of the athletes backstage, ensure that uh, if anything occurred, there was somebody there to provide immediate immediate care, uh, rather than waiting for 911 to be dispatched. Or uh, there's always that delayed response. So I, I could provide immediate care. So I had my medical bag. I had my uh, automatic external defibrillator with me. Uh, I had usually hydration type stuff. So Pedialyte, uh, basic measures. Uh, I could check vitals and then uh, just basically oversee the health of the athlete. Obviously, if something needed to be uh, expedited to to call 911, then I could facilitate that process. How often did you find yourself in a situation where you were just getting them fit to get back up and go back out on stage? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, for the most part, uh, it was it was rather uneventful for most days, but I would say that uh, the larger competitions, you know, the USA Championships, uh, there there would be people that uh, maybe just weren't feeling well. It was rare that I had to call an ambulance or anything like that, but uh, it was there were people that were maybe uh, not feeling well, feeling dizzy, uh, 
feeling like they they were uh, just not fit to to go on stage. Uh, usually, that had to do with with dehydration uh, at that point in time. When I was reading about the diuretics, the uh, the whole regimen of starvation. Um, not drinking enough water, um, and then of course the steroids and everything. And I'm just wondering, as a healthcare professional, are you a rock between you know a stuck between a rock and a hard place? Um, how do you manage your ethics in that kind of environment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, on the one side, on the competitive side, uh, you have to understand. Athletes, uh, particularly bodybuilders, and, and but actually all athletes, really, they 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 often have the mentality of winning at all costs, and and uh, sometimes at all, at all costs means at all costs. So they're willing to put everything on the line, which is uh, you know uh, not necessarily a, uh, a great mentality to have, especially when you're 20, 25 years old. You often don't think you know what's going to happen in 10, 20, 30 years from now. Uh, that being said, you know, we have a responsibility as healthcare professionals to, to not judge, uh, to try to educate uh, and to try to provide uh, the, the, the best care possible. So where where the the issue comes in is trying to walk that fine line between maximizing performance, maximizing appearance to do what it takes to win. But at the same time, uh, not disregarding, not completely disregarding health uh, and all of the potential risks that come with that. And, and at least not warning the people of the potential risks and side effects. So they go in with with a clear knowledge of what what are the dangers. Are there enough of you out there, Guillermo? Well, I think uh, I think there are more coaches that are coming to understand that there's there's a lot of danger in in some of the practices that are that are done. But I think there are uh, way too many out there that are that are still you know cookie cutting recipes and term and and prescriptions and prescriptions I mean by practices of diuretic use uh, other drug use uh, etc and, and I think the biggest the biggest concern anabolic steroids are a part but I think my my first tier of issues is really with diuretic use because that is what causes a lot of the acute that's uh, in 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 the short term and I you know learned that the diuretic use and getting the fluids out of the body is what makes the muscles stand out in that very distinctive striated way is the way I like I think of it it's just you can see like kind of every fiber if it, some it looks like sometimes um is there anybody consulting with the hierarchy of judging in the sport about what they're asking of the competitors and what that's costing them maybe their life well I'm gonna I'm gonna break that down into two parts I think there's a misconception that you have to lose water to look that condition and 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 i think it's common common terminology in the bodybuilding community among coaches among judges uh where where they often will tell a competitor you need to you need to lose some water weight you know you, you were a little watery uh and then they you, they throw this term around but realistically you know in the years that i've seen it uh that's the case of a very small percentage of the time most people when somebody tells them you're holding water really they're holding body fat and they're they're just not lean enough and uh there's a safer way uh to be able to lose to to lose those extra five eight pounds of body fat to to get that look without having these extreme measures and that's where these extreme uh peak week measures come about in fact that, that's why i wrote a paper on this just a couple of years ago 
which was kind of reviewing the evidence-based practices. And, and uh, you know, there is, there is some potential benefit to manipulating water and electrolytes, but the reality is the science doesn't really support that 100%. We, there's a lot that we don't know about that mechanism, how it works. And when you, when you look at the other side of it, which is what are the potential side effects, then you have to kind of say, well, what's the risk to benefit ratio? And, and to be honest, oftentimes it's probably better not to manipulate that to extreme levels. And you can manipulate it a little bit without putting somebody at, at risk. But now when you're telling somebody not to drink water for, you know, 24 hours, 36 hours, which does happen. And on top of that, take a prescription grade diuretic uh, that's going to deplete your electrolytes. That's when the issues really come about. You know, I'm wondering, Desmond Butler, what your thoughts are about whether this culture uh, of acceptance of this kind of uh, approach to fitness, I guess. I, I'm not sure what the word I would use, but, it, you know, this isn't like bodybuilding doesn't start in high school where you have a coach who cares about you and is telling you what's good for you and the school nurse is there to make sure you're okay and, and there's there's like – you know, uh, you know, Ohio High School, you know, Athletic Association um, rules and regulations. This is a free for all when you get into it, right? Yeah, somebody um, smart said to me the biggest problem in America is that there's no ministry of sport. <laughs> um, the regulation is really um, mishmashed and I think pretty much absent in bodybuilding. Um, but somebody's got to take the reins and you know care about the fact that so many people are dying yeah uh, guillermo escalante I, that's what I, you know when i was talking uh, earlier with marie and then and desmond it's like nobody cares it people are dying and they don't there's no one stepping up to the plate at the governmental level at the regulatory level yeah and, and that's really what what is frustrating uh you know i, I there everybody seems to be kind of pushing it under the rug and I mean, just just in the last three weeks, uh, there's been uh, three people that have died before the age of, of 50. Uh, and uh, they're they're in the fitness space. Not all two of them are bodybuilders. Uh, two of them are pro bodybuilders, one man, one woman. And and uh, this is what made me sick to my stomach just after years and years of seeing another, you know, rest in peace, bro. Uh, you know, my condolences. I mean, and, and how many times do we see this when we're seeing people in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s? Uh, that, that are dying. Um, and, and again, association is, is not, correlation is not always, does, does not mean that it's, it's not a, necessarily a cause and effect, right. but there's a smoking gun there that we need to look at and we need to investigate it further. How did you escape this uh, downward spiral that has taken the lives of so many? Um, what's going on? It seems like the culture's by, you know, there's two different things going on out there. Yeah, I think, well, some people are looking the other way and then they're, they're. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping that even if they're looking the other way, this is very optimistic thinking, even if they're looking the other way, they're doing something to improve it. But uh, but I think it's probably a better approach to uh, look at it further and, and accept the problem, don't ignore the problem. And then that way you can do a true analysis of, you know, what the issues are. Uh, you know, I, I you can't put all the blame on the organizations and the coaches but you can put some of it for sure, because at the end of the day, a lot of these, nobody's putting a gun to the head to athletes to do some of these practices. And a lot of them are actually aware of some of the risks, but 
there are people that are vulnerable and and they're they're straight along the wrong way. I think if, if they're misinformed, if a judge tells you you're holding water and then your coach now basically says you were holding water, therefore you need to take this pill and you need to not drink water because they're misinformed. And, and the, your attitude is, I want to win. Now you're going to put all the pieces together and say, well, if I want to win, that's what it takes. And but, that's where the issues come about. So it, it all stems from education. And, but that doesn't sound like a sport to me, depriving yourself of a basic thing like water and then taking a pill. Yeah, and I think there's a debate whether bodybuilding is a sport. Yeah. And, and I, I would say the process of getting ready for competition is a sport because you're required, you know, required to train and uh, a lot of dedication, a lot of hours in, in the gym, and there's there's an athletic activity. But the day of the show, it's it's a pageant show, you know. So it's 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 where it's where it's where where the art is. So the process to get there requires sporting activities. The day that you're there, it's it's an aesthetic appearance. It's it's, it's a pageant show where you're you're pose you're posing and you're showing off your physique. Uh, but you know, it takes years to be able to get to that to that ultimate goal. Desmond Butler, we're just about out of time, but I'm wondering what kind of feedback you've gotten, and if there is anybody interested in taking up this mantle at this point. I, I've seen no signs that it's coming from the NPC or the IFBB Pro any kind of reform, um, and and some of the steps I think would be very simple. Like diuretics are easy to test for, I believe. Um, but um, there's been a tremendous reader feedback, a lot of people reaching out, a lot of people who said that uh, this, uh, you know, has been going on for years and nobody's nobody's spoken out about it. So I think on that in that sense, I'm, I'm hopeful. That's Desmond Butler. He's an investigative reporter for The Washington Post. He helped produce a series about the uh, life behind uh, sports bodybuilding uh, and the competition for it. Um, Desmond, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And Guillermo Escalante is a competitive bodybuilder and assistant dean and professor of kinesiology at the College of Natural Sciences at California State University, San Bernardino. Guillermo Escalante, thanks for your time as well. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for all your work, Desmond. Thank you for yours. And thanks to our listeners. Thanks for being there. And thanks uh, for listening today. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News.